think probably the best place to start is a quick introduction um, from from you. Um, so, in your own words, <laughs> who are you? Where do you come from? What do you do? So, my name's Yasmin. Um, I'm a solicitor at Flaggate, and I'm originally from Hong Kong, um, but currently working in London. Okay. Um, and in terms of uh, in terms of your, I guess, sort of what. What makes you slightly different, maybe, to to other lawyers that I speak to? You're you're not just a lawyer. You've got a, you've got a bit of a side. I mean, hobbies are hobbies the wrong word. Side hustle. The side hustle, yeah, side hustle. T t tell me about that. Um, so I play cricket for Hong Kong as well. Um, I'm their opening batter, and I've actually just been made vice captain, which is great as well. Um, I've been playing since I was. 12 or 13 for Hong Kong. Um, I got into cricket because of my mom. Um, so I'm Indian by descent, even though we grew up in Hong Kong. And she always said to me and my brother that we knew more about Hong Kong and about the culture within Hong Kong than we did about India. And so she said, okay, well, one way for you to get to know about India is to play cricket, because obviously the Indians are mad about cricket. Um, and so she kind of dragged me initially to start playing, but by the time I'd played, yeah, for a couple of years, I absolutely loved it. And then that's, it that's, that's super cool. Um, it's, 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 I'd say it's atypical that people get dragged by their mums to go and play cricket. <laughs> no, it's not at all. I mean, she, it was initially as well, a mother-daughter bonding activity. That was, that was what she envisaged for us. Um, <clears throat> but that didn't go so well because um, I, I don't know, my mum's hand-eye coordination wasn't the best um, and she yeah, embarrassed me a little bit, but no, <laughs> I think the idea was a good one and hey, we've so still got memories. You didn't, get your, you didn't get your cricket genes from your mum then? Um, no, mum's got a lot of strengths, but I'd say cricket isn't one of them. Um, Fine. She, but, got, she got you the passion for cricket. Yes, definitely. Yeah. But not, not the ability. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, she was really supportive as well. So, I mean, obviously, when you're a kid, having a hard ball chucked at you is, quite, is not like particularly fun. Um, so, I remember her telling me like constantly not to jump out of the way of a ball because that was what I used to do initially. Like, I just didn't want to get hit. But the more you jump out of the way, the more likely it is that you are going to get hit because you're not focusing on the ball. I do think that cr cricket is there is something like a little bit sadistic about it. Um, like playing, playing with literally a rock that's being pelted at you <laughs> as hard as someone can throw it at you. Um, mm -hmm. And this is probably not a, uh, not an experience that's too common to you, given that you're uh, you're you're the opening bats. Uh, so, do you call it batter? Because I, I, it's interesting, like the gender terms that we have in sport, right? Because like actors these days, men and women are calling themselves actors. Like everyone's just an actor. It's become kind of like this is what we call it, but. Do you, do you think in, in women's cricket, is it batter rather than batsman? I tend to say batter. I don't think there's a generally accepted word that everybody uses, but yeah, I tend to say batter. Batter, yeah. That kind of makes me think of like baseball, batter on deck. Um, yeah. yeah the, the other thing about it is like once you're out, you're just left to stew thinking about your mistakes. Not like other sports where if you make a little mistake, you can kind of make up for it a little bit, but when you're batting, yeah. when, once, and for me, once you're out for a golden duck every single time and you've got everyone else's innings to just sit and think about how bad you are at cricket. <laughs> yeah, it's just unforgiving. Um, definitely. Like, you have spells where 
I mean, I've had spells sometimes where I've stayed in the whole time and not sat on the bench at all to watch. So, you know, when you've opened, like you're literally batting through the entire innings. And then, like you said, you have those, those times as well where you're sat on the side and, yeah, hope, wishing you were back out there, but you just don't get your time again. It's very unforgiving. Yeah, it's a, I mean, it's, a, it's, it's one of those sports, I think it's a real mental aspect to it. Yeah, it's, of course, there's the physical aspect, the strength, the, the fitness, but I feel like uh, having a strong mind must make a big difference between... Definitely, you know, yeah. And it's interesting speaking to other players, because I think a lot of it depends on, like, routine before you go out. Um, like, people have all sorts of ideas about like the best ways to prepare mentally like some people visualize the game beforehand I've definitely done that before before I've gone out to play I've tried to imagine what every bowl is going to bowl at me because you study the opposition before you play against them and so I'll sit there like the night before it's so hard to strip it's really difficult to switch off trying to visualize like what stroke I'm going to play to each ball I'm not sure how effective it is probably just means that I don't sleep enough but <laughs> That's my tactic. <laughs> well, do you know what? I think there's, I'm, I'm almost certain that there is uh, evidence that, that visualisation 100% uh, works. And I mean, I can't, I can't relate to it in a, in a sports capacity because I've, uh, I've never uh, been a particularly uh, high level uh, sportsman, but uh, I'm a cellist. And my cello teacher was um, was very keen that we do this thing that they call puppet practice, which is essentially just visualizing, practicing, doing what you're doing. And it, I think there is evidence, um, you know, this is like bro science right now. I'm pretty sure there are studies that show, that's what everyone says, studies that show um, it actually fires the same neurons in your brain that, you know, when yeah. you're visualizing it as to when you're actually doing it can help your performance. So I'm sure... Maybe, maybe, maybe you shouldn't be doing it until 3 a.m. the night before, but I'm sure it helps you. <laughs> yeah, I think it does, to be honest, because, yeah, it, and there's two types of, like, reds and stuff about dreams and the fact that, like, certain dreams that you have that are repetitive, that's your way of your brain actually setting in that repetitive motion. So you'll do, like, you know, when you're driving, you can drive along, and obviously that's actual real-world practice. And then when you go to sleep sometimes that you'll be dreaming about the really mundane driving along a road, but that's just your brain's way of actually enforcing and setting in those lessons that you've learnt. And so, yeah, I don't see why it wouldn't apply, like you said, to playing the cello or playing cricket. I'm, I'm sure it could, uh, it, it, could, it could apply to anything. If you're, a, if you're a lawyer out there, you want to get better at drafting, just dream about drafting. Think about <laughs> it all night long. <laughs> so talk, talk to me about, um, talking about uh, cricket and the changes that, that you've seen. So you've been playing for Hong Kong since you were how old? 13. 13 years old. Okay, so it's a ser seriously long international career. <laughs> <laughs> it was the under-19s at first. Um, I think my first debut for the national women's side was when I was 15. Okay. I've been, what, I mean, I was going to ask you something different, but playing international cricket at 15 against yeah, fully grown women. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been awesome. I mean, and we had some really good role models as well growing up, like we were the babies of the team. My, my best friends and I, we were the babies of the team. Um, but we had a lot of players who were older and I think that just really helped because that was always something to aspire to. Um, and I guess you didn't take yourself very too seriously back then either. Um, you're more in it for the friends and like the pressure wasn't really there because you had older players who were kind of guiding the team through. So yeah, it was great, great experience. 
Yeah. So what's 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 changed in the game since uh, since you were since you were fifteen and broke out onto onto the scene? Um, well, globally, the women's game's just taken off. So yeah. um, I don't know if you've been watching, but the women's Big Bash League, um, we've got the Kia Super League, the hundred in the UK. Um, there's just so many more opportunities for women to play, um, and also now they're giving less professional contracts. There's options for women to go professional within like top test playing teams so like within england within india within australia and so those three teams are really spearheading it um we're an associate nation so we're not a full member team like india you know all the big teams that you know of yeah. um hong kong's not one of those um so our funding and our progression really depends on performance so it can all just be on the line in one game. So it's, you can have it do or die, but not just for that game, not just for that tournament, not just for that qualification path, but for all the funding for the next three years, potentially. Um, so it's a lot more drastic and yeah, there's a lot more at stake. So you kind of have, you can have like steps forward at points in time and then steps backwards because funding gets pulled. Um, so it's not as just linear growth the way it is within full members nations okay understood because i was i mean looking at the the nations that you see in the in the women's t20 uh league it, it's 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 insane how how far and wide cricket is actually played i was looking through uh, before before um, we got on the call this morning i was just having a flick through and there's like i'm pretty sure i saw a team out of peru <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. Got you, from all over. You just don't. I mean, it's. Uh, I guess it's just because I'm so used to you know Test match cricket and um, you know World Cup stuff, but you, I didn't realise actually how how far and wide the game has actually spread. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think just women's women's sport in general is uh, is I think everywhere seems to be getting more and more more and more popular. Funnily enough, I could always think that. It's, it's in some of the, the most unusual sports that you'll actually see um, you'll actually see some of the most progress. So I was thinking about this the other day. Um, I don't know if you, thought, you you might not you might not be totally interested in it, but I'm quite a big fan of uh, mixed martial arts MMA, oh, yeah. and you would think that that would just be the least sort of progressive uh, sort of behind women's sport kind of um, you know just. Uh, you just ne wouldn't necessarily think it, but they've done one of the most incredible jobs of promoting um, uh, women's MMA to the point that some of their biggest stars and headline acts, or headline acts, you can't really call it acts, can you? Because they're kind of you know, fighting each other in a cage. But some of their biggest, their biggest stars, and they they really are pushing the pushing the you know the, the needle on uh, on what can be done. So it's almost more exciting. The future of women's sport than men's sport because it's so men's sport is so sort of like saturated and plateaued. Like there's so much yeah. more, there's so much more to come. I feel definitely yeah because you watch the highest level. I mean I think maybe they're approaching kind of showcasing what women can do. But without all I mean without being fully professional, I don't think you can really see what women are capable of within these sports. Like I just think. Yeah, undeniably you're going to have people who aren't performing to the best of their ability because they just don't have the time to dedicate to the sport but as that changes people just get better and better and and I mean you have like the mental side of it like we've touched on and plus the actual gym work you know there's so much that goes into becoming an athlete um, besides just playing that sport and all of that like 
support around athletes just means that they can improve so much more within their sport as well. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, it's just so right. Like, without professionalism, it's, it's like rugby union. If you look at, um, I mean, the men's rugby, England rugby union team, see them play a game from the 70s and 80s when it was, you know, everyone had day jobs uh, and they used to drink all, all, all week and probably drink before the game as well. And yeah. you, see the, you see the quality of the game. I mean, it's, it's, exactly, yeah. it's just like, a, it's almost a different sport. Like the physicality, mm-hmm. the, 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 the way the game is played, it's just totally, totally different. So yeah, I guess kind of in order for it to become more of a draw, the money and investment needs to come first and then it will pay off. Yeah. So it just takes a little bit of forward planning. But I, I feel like people, the money and people with the money in terms of the people who have the ability to invest in sport, you got I, I would say the smart money has got to be on, on on women's sport if you want to invest in in something which is going to pay dividends further on down the track um, yeah that, that's that's surely where it's at to come at it from mm. a business perspective so talk to me about your 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 training uh, so we should probably talk about your legal career as well in a, in a bit but what what is required of you in terms of being able to play international cricket the training the practice and how, uh, and, and yeah, give us a flavor for, for what that entails. So we have gym programs. Um, so usually we train within the gym twice or three times a week. Um, at the moment, obviously, because of COVID, I know we said we wouldn't discuss it, but, um, <laughs> but um, we've been doing quite a lot of Zoom workouts. Um, so that's kind of replaced as and when gyms have closed. Um, that's replaced gym workouts. So we've had Zoom sessions. You have um, our fitness instructor who sits in on the calls and like helps with form and also just pushes people to go faster or to um, push themselves. Um, so that that's the fitness side. Plus we have um, these t- tests that we do each week. So we do two k run trial. Um, and that's just to see, you, you've got to try and improve your 2K time. Um, you also have push-ups, um, plank, trying to improve on like jumping range as well, because that's a big part of cricket, ex- like being explosive. Um, so, and, and then they measure your body composition as well um, to just make sure that you're eating the right things. Because we've had nutrition lessons and we have all this information about nutrition and having a balanced diet, but then there's also monitoring that and making sure that players are sticking to it broadly um, and their bodies are changing the way that it should be. Um, so that's the fitness side of things. Um, and then there's the actual cricket. So I play on the weekends. So I could try and play as much as I can over the weekends. Um, so mainly Sundays, but also sometimes Saturday. Um, and then occasionally I play for the MCC as well, which is great. Um, so that's sometimes during the week and I just take holiday for that. Um, and then I play for Finchley in London. Um, and so all my training is with them. Okay. So, so that's, that, sound, that sounds a little bit scary to me, the idea of having my body composition measured every week. Do you have, uh, to, get the, so, do you have to get the calipers out? No, no, no. So that, I mean, that, that isn't every week. It's just monitored over time. I was yeah. going to say, because like, what well, if you have a, you know, you have a bad week? That's not, that's yeah. not bad. <laughs> No, no, no. Are you are you one of those are you one of those athletes who loves the game but doesn't particularly love the gym and some of the other stuff that goes with it, or are you one of those who like embraces every aspect of it and just just loves it all? Probably one of the weird ones who likes all of it. Um, I 
grew up as a swimmer, so when I was about three, my mum chucked us in the pool. You'll see a common theme your, your mom, your mom is a, my mom. Your savage. She's a savage. Yeah, so, so I was a really strong swimmer growing up. Um, and we trained, like, that was ridiculous. I mean, we used to train before and after school, like, every day. Um, and that, that was tough, and that was up until the age of 14. And so I think that's kind of instilled a lot of discipline. Um, and nothing is ever as hard as that. It was just, that was rough, like, trying to become, you know, top-level swimmer is probably as hard as it gets. So, like, rower or runner you know those sort of sports one yeah mm, so yeah i mean swimming swimming i can relate to a bit i was the uh <laughs> i was it was the only sports team at school that i that i was on the uh the, the a team for as it were and the only reason was because probably because of my school very few people could actually swim and i was the only kid who was probably lucky enough to have his mum do what your mum did and chuck her in the pool from an early age <laughs> but I, could, I was the only one who could who could really swim butterfly and i was terrible at it Really terrible. I remember every swimming gala lining up and there'd be me and one other kid and we'd always be able to pick each other out so we wouldn't be in that good shape. And we'd be like, you're the other kid that can, own, you're the only other kid that can do butterfly in your school, aren't you? And we would just be in competition with each other, see who, who, who didn't lose. <laughs> but yeah. yeah. Swimming's a brutal sport, yeah. So you've kind of, you've kind of got that just tenacious, um, sort of war of attrition kind of attitude in you where you just you just want to push the physical limits as well as yeah. enjoy the game yeah and yeah so swimming yeah and just the discipline as well because it's like dragging yourself out of bed to go to training before school so that would be like at five o'clock in the morning um so yeah again just like being on time for sessions pushing yourself in sessions like you said yeah swimming I think gave me the basis and also the just the base level of fitness um so then running and all of that isn't as hard. Yeah, amazing. So let's talk about how this fits in with your, with your legal career, right? So it sounds like from a young age, you've been getting up at the crack of sparrows to get training, swimming, cricket, having your mum chuck cricket balls at you. It's, it sounds like a bit of a war zone. You obviously did well in school, so I see that you, you, uh, you went to Durham to study law um, and you, you got your training contract and you now qualified at, at Flagate. Like, how does, how does this all fit together with, with, with enough time for sleep and friends? <laughs> I'm lucky because Flaggate's been um, supportive of it, of my career, my sporting career um, or aspirations. They've, like, so training-wise, as long as I get my work done um, during the day, I'm, I'm basically make sure that I get an extra early so that I can leave on time for cricket training after work. Um, or work during my lunchtime. So I just kind of work a bit in my cricket around work. Um, but no, it is difficult, of course, to balance the two. Um, and I'm still trying to figure out how to best. I guess the whole thing is just being super organized, just knowing when you have a training session that you need to get everything done well in advance. Yeah. Does organization sort of come naturally to you? I wouldn't say so, no. So I think I was actually pretty disorganised as a kid. Um, and I kind of fought it for a very long time. So I was kind of like, I don't need to be organised. Like, this is working for me. Um, but uh, no, the more the more you take on, the more you definitely have to be organised. And so I've learnt a lot about organisation, I think, from balancing the two. Yeah, okay. So do you have, do you, do you have like a full-on calendar that you live and die by sort of thing to make sure that you've remembered where everything is? Or do you just keep it there? <laughs> yeah. 
yeah. a lot of reminders as well. No, I, I, I think keeping it in your head would be detrimental. I think because you just want to park it. You just want to okay, know that you have something on, put it to one side and park it. I don't really want it taking up mental space, particularly. Um, yeah, that's interesting you say mental space because I always, uh, I, I always think like that. You want to reduce the amount of decisions that you have to make because that's exactly. what really, I think that's what really saps your energy is when you have to think about what you're doing. I, I, haven't gone as, I haven't gone as far as doing the whole um, Barack Obama thing where I just have, uh, you know, the same outfit, which I just recycle every day. So I don't have to think about what to wear. But definitely those kind of things, I think, must be pretty helpful. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think, isn't it Zuckerberg who's the big example of that like with his one hoodie or something i didn't know barack obama did the same thing yeah i'm pretty sure i mean i could be making that up but you know we don't have a fact <laughs> check. We, i can't afford a fact checker on this podcast so we can just say whatever we want and uh, if if, uh, if some if somebody wants to disagree with what i've said then they can uh, they can send me an email and i'll uh, I'll, <laughs> I'll retract it on the next podcast but i'm pretty sure i'm pretty sure barack was uh, was was onto that one too and i guess it uh, was <laughs> steve jobs as well with the old uh, yeah. black black roll neck um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, organization must be must be super. And how about getting enough, like rest? Because you've you've got a serious, you know, you've got serious demands. Because you're you're a litigator, right? So yeah. you know, when when you know, when the heat's on and you've got a matter on, it's you know, your, your clients are looking for you to get stuff done for them. It's serious stuff. Um, mm. And then you've also got to go out and perform on the cricket pitch, right? So how how do you how do you how do you sort of make sure you've got time for enough rest and recuperation? So try and go to bed on time or early. Um, yeah. So that that's the only way that you can get up early and then have enough energy throughout the day. Mm. Um, so and then I guess it's the whole winding down as well before bedtime, just making sure that you're not really keyed up because I think that's one of the biggest issues that you can have something on at work that's really stimulating. And then obviously the gym's pretty stimulating as well. And so it's just making sure that you properly wind down so that you do get good quality sleep because that's just as important as obviously the length that you sleep um so I like I like reading before bed um I try not to use my phone or anything electronic because I find that that just keeps you awake for longer yeah I think well so I had a, a guest on the podcast um recently called Charlene who's uh she used to be a lawyer but she's now a, a sort of um a well-being uh, coach and she's mm -hmm. she's really big on the whole, um, you know, no tech before bed. Because mm -hmm. I think there's, I'm reading all this stuff, and she always talks about this blue light you get from your phone. But yeah. I don't think it's just that. I think you're right. It's also kind of like the excitement from yeah. getting an, a new notification or an email or something exactly. like that. Yeah, so. and I think like being on a computer, there's just so much to grab. Like you said, notifications, but so much of it grabs your attention so you can go off into like these rabbit holes can't you like you can start looking at one thing and then you'll click on the next thing and click on the next thing and then something will pop up and you'll go into that and it's just too much stimulation whereas if you're reading a book like nothing's going to pop out on the book but yeah gonna, obviously it can be a grip a thriller i guess or something that <laughs> i can I, I can imagine your feed's going to be like, it'll be like top top 10 uh, top 10 boundaries hit by so and so and then like five hours later you're yeah. watching you're watching you're watching like a test match from 1972 whatever in black and white and you're like how the hell did i get here 100 <laughs> percent. no that's exactly it especially i mean like looking at stats cards and then wanting to watch parts of the matches yeah that's pretty much exactly what I look at. <laughs> yes, but I mean, do you, do you do you feel like you have to be quite ruthless as well with your what you commit yourself to? 
because you've got a lot on your plate and mm -hmm. I don't know I, I personally feel like I've got a natural inclina inclination to be like yeah I'll do this yeah I'll do this but yeah that that must be quite hard for you because you've got such limited time and you also you know the, the side project that you've got on the ground it's not nice to call your cricket a side project, but I mean, it's demanding. So what do you do? Do you, are you just very laser focused? Is there anything that's outside of your, you know, what's going to help you out in, in either cricket or work? You just loss off or what? So, I mean, summer months have to be quite disciplined. So, and that's kind of when everything's happening and when people are making lots of plans. But I guess I do have to be, yeah, careful with my time and quite militant with it because I can't afford to go out really late at night and then, try and perform on the cricket pitch I've tried it before but it just doesn't work so well I think I tried taking guard at middle stump ended up on outside off stump because I'd been out the night before <laughs> my coach was like what were you doing but <laughs> so no so I learned quite <laughs> quite a while ago that that doesn't work um so yeah so I have to be I, I tell my friends I just say look like we can do things once season is over and like we'll put loads of stuff in for after season is over to try and compensate for it because I do want to see people and I do want to do fun things, but it's just during season, it's just it's difficult to fit in a lot of the time. Fine. So you just have to make time for these things when, uh, and make sure that you sort of keep on top of it when you do have the available time. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And it's so, not like I don't have any time. Like you can always make time for things if you. That's true. I've tried to take on that mantra because oftentimes you feel like you, when someone asks you about something that, you've, that they wanted you to do or something like this, you say, oh, I haven't had time. But I often, I started thinking to myself, well, I, I did sit and scroll on uh, Instagram for exactly. half an hour. Yeah. Um, so I probably did have time. Um, mm -hmm. I was, I've been trying to learn Spanish on, du on Duolingo and then uh, I haven't, you know, the, I don't know if you ever used Duolingo, but there's a little green owl and it comes up with a sad face saying, oh, you haven't done your Spanish lesson today. <laughs> and I keep saying to this owl, I'm like, mate, I don't have time for you. But actually, I'm lying to myself. I, I do. I could have made time for it. Um, now, well, sorry, I'm going wildly off topic here. Um, let's let, let, for the for the for the younger and aspiring lawyers out there. Let's maybe have a little talk through your your journey into law uh, and how how I guess you you arrived at finding the right firm for you because it sounds like you know the firm has have made it uh, have made it easier for you than uh, than than it could have been elsewhere to mm -hmm. enable you to do to do what you do and, and thrive doing it. How did you, how did you arrive at, did you do lots of VAC schemes, the research, what went into this process to, to arrive where you are now? Yeah, so I did um, VAC schemes um, at different types of law firms. So I went to um, some of the Magic Circle, Silver Circle law firms, as well as um, medium-sized ones, um, just to get an idea of the culture, just to get an idea of the work, the type of work that you get. Um, that was really valuable and to anybody aspiring to be a lawyer, I definitely recommend it. I mean, it is only for two weeks a lot of the time. You don't get a very long time within it, but I do think you get an idea. And obviously then it's a good way to start speaking to people within the firm. Um, and you always get somebody who is really honest and candid with you about what it's actually like working there. Um, so that's a very useful way. And then, yeah, like research, um, online although I, i'd always say that speaking to people is the best way so i'd sometimes approach people on linkedin um cold so you wouldn't actually know them but if you say something to them and i mean if you actually think about what you're saying to them type quite a personal message 
um, most people do respond or you do get people who will respond and and even just say can we have a quick phone call and like we said people can always make time and they tend to want to help because everybody's been in that position before everybody knows what it's like trying to figure out what you want to do with your life trying to choose a career path um, yeah I think I think it's really important that people know what they're getting into when it comes to uh, when it comes to the law firms that they're going to be training at because I find a lot of I think I find a lot of people who are so desperate to get a training contract just to get a training contract that they're not necessarily always cognizant of what that's going to mean to them later on in their career in terms of is the firm actually one where I'm going to fit in because then you're putting off your you know you're putting yourself in not in trouble but you're just giving yourself a headache for later on in your career when you need to find a you know find a position elsewhere or are you going to be able to qualify into the to the practice area that you want mm -hmm. so um, I'm interested to know did you know that you wanted to be a litigator before you started your contract or did you realize when you were doing it no no I also I didn't know before I started um, I think I went in with quite an open mind but no I really do enjoy litigation um, I love the diversity of the work the fact that things can be completely different like you can be working on a will or a contract to speak one day or um, like a group action potentially another day um, or like debt claims it is really varied because it's commercial litigation and that's quite broad um, and I, I like the fact as well I think with transactional work it's very samey um, but litigation is just different all the time and I mean when you first get a case and you're reading into it it's a story isn't it like it's you're reading in a story like somebody will say to you like help I, we've we've got ourselves into this mess or we're being sued or like and, and you've got to try and help them out and help them figure a way out and so you're very much guiding and yeah i, I really enjoy it and it, there's yeah. a lot of strategy behind it as well yeah uh well, maybe that appeals to uh this this the sports person in you <laughs> yeah probably yeah um in term in terms of your attitude to to what a lawyer, you know, to what legal uh, life as a lawyer would be beforehand. So when you were doing your, you know, applying for VAT schemes and, you know, now being a, a qualified lawyer, do you sort of look back and think, oh, I was naive, I didn't understand what this would be like or that would be like, or I thought it would be a little bit different to how it is? I don't think you can ever really know until you've started working within it. Um, yeah. Unless, I guess, you have a parent or someone who's a lawyer, you might you might have a better idea then but from having conversations with people you never like you get snippets but you never really understand what day-to-day -day it's like um so i mean I, I wouldn't say i was naive just because i i think i knew as much as i could know in the circumstances but but no nothing really prepared me for even working life is completely different a lot of the time from what people might anticipate mm. um, as a student it's just so different from what you know do you think that do you think that it it helped you and was a bit of a USP for you that you had this you know cricket um, badge on your on your CV? You've, you've achieved really highly in something. Did that come up much at interviews? I would imagine it might do, but yeah, because a lot of interviews are competency based when you're applying for training contracts, and so say they'll say to talk about a time when you demonstrated leadership skills, talk about a time when you demonstrated organisational skills. And so naturally, because cricket was such a big part of my life, and I mean teamwork, that's quite, oh, that would obviously go straight to cricket. Um, so I think both 
I mean, having seen my CV a lot of the time, people would ask me those questions anyway. Um, but also that they just kind of naturally lent themselves as examples for these competency-based questions. Um, yeah, so I think it definitely helped. I mean, and you have people who are cricket fans and so it kind of takes the pressure off just talking about your ability and also you can just talk about something that both of you enjoy like watching, yeah. listening to, yeah. I, this is why I always advise, you know, I always advise people who are applying to, to legal jobs, not just trainees, but everybody to include their, you know, hobby, hobbies and interests on the series. A lot of people ask me, you know, should I put that on? Uh, and I just think, I think overwhelmingly it's a yes, because if you do meet somebody like-minded, I mean, if you're just going to mm -hmm. put, I think if you're just going to put, you know, cooking, eating, eating, reading, then you mm -hmm. might as well, you might as well leave it off. But it's a good opportunity for, for you to show a bit of your human side. And like you said, if you find someone who's a kindred spirit, they're also yeah. into, um, you know, 17th century uh, literature or, or whatever it yeah. is that, that floats your boat, then it's just going to massively take the pressure off uh, an interview. Definitely. And I mean, you want to talk about things you're interested in, because I think that comes across as well when you... When you speak about something you don't know much about, it's kind of obvious. Whereas when you're talking about something you're passionate about, I think like your whole demeanor changes and people really do get to see you be you. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd always recommend it as well. Yeah, and it's just, I guess it's just about mining your own experience. And uh, and I think a lot of people don't don't realize the skills and experience they've got, which is really transferable into a, a legal career because they just mm -hmm. haven't thought about it. Because, you know, on the face of it, you know, law, law and cricket are just completely different things, but there's things that you can draw from it, learn from it, strategy, hard work. We were talking about it earlier, men the mental side of it, you know, mental, mm -hmm. mental strength and, and resilience. And of course, yeah. Yeah, you're in a you know, leadership, leadership position. Also, I guess yeah. the, the fact that uh, cricket's full of archaic terminology that most normal <laughs> people that don't understand it have got, got no idea what it means. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, and I'd also just say that, I mean, law as a career just gives you so many skills. So yes, like you might have skills that fit the career to begin with, but also like you're going to build and develop those skills. And I just think it really does teach you. I mean, organization again, like you just keep getting better and better at it in terms of trying to manage. If you get lots of emails and trying to prioritize, trying to manage. And I think, yeah, I just think it's such a good and, and obviously your writing skills and your communication skills improve lots and I think they're just such valuable skills to have because anywhere anything that you choose to do whether you continue to become a partner or whether you decide to do something else like it's just you you are always going to need to communicate with people because most areas do require other human interactions and I think yeah the, the skills that you learn from law are just they're very good yeah, no, certainly. I mean, the, the the amount of people that I speak to on this podcast who, are, you know, there are lawyers, the whole thing is, you know, lawyers past, lawyers present and, and future lawyers as well. Um, you know, a lot of the lawyers who've gone on to do other things, you know, the, the, the transferable skills are, you know, so, mm -hmm. so, so valuable to them. You know, e mm -hmm. even uh, as disparate as some of the careers are that some of my, you know, podcast guests have gone on to do, and I've got people that are therapists, people that are, you know, sort of, you know, yoga and wellness coaches. Um, uh, I had someone the other day who works for Amnesty investigating war crimes. So I guess that's kind mm -hmm. of similarly legal related, but just all of these transferable skills that have led them to completely different career paths that, um, yeah. that they probably didn't envisage themselves going going into, at least in some cases. Uh, so, so you're right. But I guess also, if, you know, for people who are trying to get in, in into the profession in the first place, 
mm-hmm. probably got more to offer than you realize if you really sit down and think about what it is you do yeah i wonder also if uh, for people who are looking to get into a legal career the importance of actually putting yourself out there and going and joining um i guess sort of you know social clubs be it sport be it you know whatever else it's particularly mm-hmm. particularly in areas where you're going to come across people from other industries so i found it i mean i i, I play cricket or i used to play cricket when i was uh, when i was a young lad village standard in fact i'd probably go so far as to say shanty town do you know what there's, there's, there'll be kids in shanty towns who will laugh at my cricketing ability so i don't know what what level we would of mediocrity we'd call it but you meet people from all kinds of different areas in life and i think also like you were saying when you were the young kid 15 playing on the the sports team and you're meeting mm-hmm. adults you're hearing about what what goes on in, in in other industries you're hearing about jobs that you never realized yeah. existed. Um, yeah definitely and you're making friends with people who you probably i mean wouldn't be friends with otherwise so i was friends with people who were directors at ey when i was you know very young and so that was great because i could speak to them you know when i was at that period in my life where i was trying to make decisions like you kind of have different experiences to draw on and different people to speak to about their experiences. And I think that's so valuable. Um, like what, yeah, exactly. Like what 13, 14 year old kid normally has friends who are 30 years old, 35 yeah. <laughs> yes. years old. Yeah, it'd be, normally it'd be a bit weird, but in a sports context, that's absolutely fine. <laughs> exactly, yeah, exactly. Um, so no, that's it's super valuable. And Maybe, yeah, maybe, that's, maybe that's like a uh, an, an, uh, an unthought of, pro tip for anybody out there looking to to get into a career in law join a sports team yeah find, 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 if, even if you're not sporty find 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 a group that's gonna enable you to um to meet people from other areas other you know other demographics generations not even just yeah. for career purposes but for sort of general life enrichment it's a great thing agreed yeah i mean when i moved to london i joined um toastmasters and that was really good as well because you just met so many different people. Um, that wasn't my intention going in. I wanted to improve my public speaking, but but that was kind of a great bonus and added bonus, the fact that I ended up meeting so many interesting people with different stories, doing different things. And I guess, again, this was another one of those things where it was before work. I think we started at 6.30 in the morning. So you're meeting people who've got drive and who want to improve themselves and want to better themselves. And I think whenever you're... Yeah, whenever you're joining these extra, extra, I don't want to say extracurricular, but basically things outside of work, you're meeting people who do want to improve themselves, not just within work, but outside. Yeah, you get you, you're meeting you're meeting like like minded, upwardsy mobile people, and this is uh, this is also helps out massively with the whole commercial awareness thing. Which I I mean, so I was a law student back in the day. Um, uh, I, I never, I never went uh, as far as to uh, going further than the uh, the one week uh, work experience that I managed to wangle myself. But uh, I remember all the chat about commercial awareness. I think part of that is really just knowing knowing about how the business world works and and, and what things are out there, and that's mm-hmm. and that is really hard to do from just a sort of cold research just sitting on the internet yeah. and, and reading about how things work because you can learn a little bit like that but it doesn't really humanize it and make it real for you but yeah. when you know i can remember being a 15 year old kid and talking to a guy at the cricket club who's saying oh you know he works as a commodities trader i'm like what's a commodity and what does that yeah what does that, yeah. What does that what does that mean um and that's i feel like that's kind of the 
the rub of commercial awareness, just knowing what knowing what jobs are out there, basically. Yeah, and I think it's just really important to ask people what they do day to day. So just like dig further, because I think people will give you a headline of what their firm does or what their company does. So like you said about that commodities trader, like, oh, we trade, we trade oil and gas. But I mean, what does that mean? Like, what does that actually look like day to day? Like, are you clicking a button? Are you speaking to people? Like, are you sending out emails? Yeah, getting buyers and sellers together. How does it actually work? And so I think the more you dig, the better you really understand, because that's what you want to know, isn't it, at the end of the day? You don't care if, like, the headline is that you're doing this. It's, it's what you're doing day to day that you really want to know. You also realise how bad people are explaining what their jobs are. Yeah, yeah. it's like uh, Chandler from Friends how nobody understands what Chandler from Friends does there are a lot of people out there who's uh, even friends of mine and I still have literally no idea what they actually do despite them explaining it to me so yeah digging I think is a very important skill um, when it comes to working these things out yeah and Um, it's just interesting like you learn like it's great to yeah to actually know what that means like I kind of I know what change management means now I don't think most people know what that means because like from the title, I mean, it can mean anything, but just from digging with friends. <laughs> like just yeah, true. And if, I feel like that even more so where there's like a proliferation of new jobs that you can have and new industries that are out there. There are, yeah. I mean, there, there are people who are, who are making millions out of uh, doing, you know, doing YouTube videos. So if, yeah. that, if, if that's a profession now, God knows what's, you know, what's going to be out there. And at some point, of course, there's going to be lawyers advising on on these things. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess esports is another big one. That's that used to be just gaming, people gaming, whereas now that's taken off. Um, and yeah, I mean, like our law firms advising on esports and like esports companies, and so it's yeah, you can see that lawyers do have to follow it. And so yeah, just learning about those industries is really useful. Do you, do you have, a, as, a, as an athlete yourself, do you have kind of a keen interest in, in, in sports and the law and how that sort of connects with each other? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I've always found it interesting. And we, we have a department, actually, that's commercial sports and IP. And so I had a seat in that. Um, and, yeah, that was really great. Yeah, no, I think it's, uh, it's interesting. I mean, e- esports to me is just one of those, uh, w- one of those areas. It's like totally, it's almost like totally unregulated. And like, how do you yeah. go about regulating it? Because like in, in cricket, I guess, you know, you could, you, you get test drugs tested, uh, mm-hmm. you know, to make sure that you're not like ball tampering, uh, all, yeah. of that, all of that kind of stuff that goes on. But in esports, like it's I feel like it's the wild west almost. It's like the the olden days where you you know you, can, you could be taking you know all kinds of things to keep you awake, to keep you training, to keep uh, yeah. things and winning massive prize money. So that's gonna I'm sure that's that's gonna be like the next uh, the next Icarus documentary on Netflix is gonna be on some kid who's uh, you know stayed awake for like three months on uh, <laughs> Modafinil who's uh, winning millions of pounds. Yeah, that fascinates yeah. me. I would be really interested to see uh, to, to see where that see where that industry goes. No, definitely. I mean, I think I think the regulation is short to follow. I mean, especially because it's a lot of like you said, kids. Um, I don't think they'll stay unregulated for too long. But no, it's yeah. definitely stuff that kids kids making millions for doing things that their parents would probably parents shout disapprove of. Yeah. <laughs> 
I think that, but I think that about I think that about sport. You know, as a kid, if you weren't in doing your homework and you were out, you know, out in the street playing football, your parents would probably mm-hmm. shout at you. But when you think you think if you look at the Premier League, it's probably all of the kids that weren't inside doing their, their homework and were just playing football twenty four seven. So they were laughing all yeah. the side of their, <laughs> laughing all the way to yeah. the bank with that one. No, definitely. Like you have two types of parents, I guess. So those who are really academically focused, and those who. I guess grow up with this dream of having their kid become the next superstar with like being an athlete. So I was reading um, Andre Agassi's biography and that was kind of one of his parents who had a dream for the child, like whether he wanted it or not. Um, yeah, it's just definitely have two types of parents. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the, I mean, it sounds, sounds like you had, uh, you had a bit of both given you've kind of, uh, you've gone down the academic and, and sporting route, which I think is great. You know, you get to your role rounded view of the world that you, you I feel yeah. sorry for I do feel sorry sometimes for people who have literally known nothing but I don't know is the I, I get the feeling that that biography the Andre Agassi one might be a little bit sad at points but I think he quite I, I I might be wrong and tell me if I'm wrong here but I think he suffered a little bit from um yeah. mental health issues because of the, the way he was sort of pushed into it yeah no he did I mean he he, he always said it wasn't a choice. It never felt like a choice. It felt like it was something that was taken out of his control. Like his dad kind of predetermined his future before he was even really conscious of what he wanted. Um, yeah, so that was like sad at points, definitely. Oh, okay. um, but pa- no, parents, parents out there, make sure you take your kids to the sports club, but don't force them to do it. That's the. <laughs> but no, it, it's important to have something outside of either your profession or like your sporting career, just because otherwise it can really easily become the be-all and end-all. Like, you know, if you don't do well on a case or if you don't do well on, you know, in a, in a tournament, like that is completely, if that's everything you've been working for, it hurts that much more. I think having something like an escape almost. So for me, that's cricket from work. That's just really helpful. You, you go away, you train hard and then you come back and you always come back with a clean mind. Like, and you just feel a bit better having worked out or having gone and hit a ball. Um, yeah, I guess I, I, I guess you must be so focused when you're when you're playing, because you know when someone's you know throwing a ball at you as fast as they can, you've got to react to it. You don't have time to think about the BS on your mind about you know did I do this right or did I do that no, wrong kind of thing. You're just exactly. kind of living in the moment and being present. Yeah, I mean, like the adrenaline kicks in, and that's that's it. It just kind of strips away like you said, any thoughts of anything else and that's all you're immersed in for a while. And like, I think I always find that going, stepping away from something. So when you think something's really gone really badly, you step away from it, from it for a little bit and then you go back to it and it always, like you always come to it with a different perspective. Very rarely found that I go back into the same mental cycle that I was in before. Oh yeah. I feel, I, I, I feel like, um, we lack a lot of sort of living in the moment uh, and we, we spent far too much time sort of ruminating and worrying mm-hmm. and thinking about all of these things and they just they they, they seem a lot bigger than they are um, and then you do something which just completely takes your focus and gets you into that sort of uh, you know really focused present state when you come back yeah. out of it you realize that ah oh, wasn't actually wasn't actually as bad as as, yeah. I, as I thought it was going to be. Well, I guess it was a new solution for it. So initially, maybe you were like you were stuck in this train of thought that this is the only way out of it. Or like you know, but there's no other way, and you're just mulling it over in your head. But once you come back to it, sometimes you come up with a new solution that you haven't thought of before. 
Yeah, and I think it's it, it, it. You don't even need to be become an international cricketer to have that uh, yeah. to have that solace. It's uh, you know any anything uh, anything out there that you can sort of use as a um, you know as a refuge for your mind to just focus on something else for for, for the time being. I think it's, yeah. that, that's really important to to being able to cope with a with a you know with a stressful with a stressful job and a demanding you know a demanding job and having so many different draws on your attention as you know as you were saying that different things competing for your for your mental space yeah um, so yeah I th that's uh, no, that's super um one question for you winning a case mm -hmm. or winning a cricket match i mean they're so comparable you know um yeah. i think the feeling the buzzing feeling yeah i think i mean winning a case i guess that's a newer experience for me um and I love the buzz that everyone has and the way everyone talks about it afterwards. I love like the intellectual discussions that people have. It's, it's great. And the same goes for cricket. I mean, when people are buzzing off a win, I mean, there's nothing quite like it. Um, yeah. yeah. Have, what, and in terms of like bouncing back from when things don't go right, because that's something you have in cricket and that's also something that people have in their professional lives. What are your what are your methods of of doing that and sort of coping with it? Because it's tough, especially when, as you were saying, you've, sometimes you've got these games that have got a lot riding on them, funding, yeah, yeah, uh, qualification, whatever it may be. What what do you how do you do it? Um, well, I mean that's a tough one. A lot of the time as well, you have back to back games, so you'll lose something and then you'll have to play again the next day. So you've kind of got to pick yourself back up, forget about the game that you've just lost, and get ready for the next one. And so it's a team effort really because everyone reacts differently to losses. So you have some players who want to be in, like by themselves and quiet, whereas other players want to talk about it a lot. And so like, how do you balance the two of those? Like obviously you don't want the person who doesn't want anyone talking to them being chatted about like being talked to about the game throughout. Um, I mean, me personally, I think I prefer not to talk about it. So I prefer to just try and forget about it try and distract myself obviously like I'll reflect on it once it's not as raw and take learning points from it I like writing um it's being a lawyer but so I'll often write down like my learning points and kind of park it then so I say okay that was a bad loss like what went well what didn't go so well what can I learn from it and then I'll park I'll try and park it as much as I can mm, that's I think I think that's a that's like a life lesson though, not even for for, for winning and losing sports matches, but mm -hmm. when things when things go wrong, you know, in in your professional life, you can spend. I think everyone has this natural proclivity towards just um, ruminating on it, just stewing on it, and yeah. you start you start getting into the narrative of oh, I'm you know I'm not as good as I thought I was, I'm stupid, yeah. all this kind of the negative yeah. self talk. Whereas actually, if you were to, you know, let's say you get a, you know, get a few bounce backs from your training contract applications, or you know, you made a mistake at work, or you know, the client that you were going to go pitch to um, decided that they're not going to include you on their, you know, their, their PSL or whatever it may be, and, and instead of actually just sitting there and stewing on it, if you did yeah. actually kind of almost take like the the sports sort of uh, way of dissecting, you know, the pros the cons. And making it a learning experience that would make exactly. I think that was so important and I mean even knowing that even having done that within sports I still found that I did that made the same mistakes within my law career I mean I, I like you said ruminate over things and get really upset and and I think the worst part of it is doubting yourself and doubting your ability and and 
it's just not particularly helpful I don't think to be saying to yourself like you said I'm stupid it's just because I'm not good enough because it's a really fixed mindset to have to say that my ability is limited to what I am now because that's never the case like you can always improve you can always learn and you can always get better so I think you just need to always bear that in mind like and my issue as well is like I'd see all these clever people who are partners and be like well I'm never going to be that but but actually don't you forget the fact that they've had maybe 15 years of experience on you and and maybe in 15 years time you'd know what they do yeah true and I think we also of course we just we all portray togetherness we all portray ourselves at our best you know on social media but even in professional life but I guarantee you that uh, if you look around the office even the most top performing people you find who look like they've got everything under wraps have probably yeah. had a cry, they probably had a cry in the toilets at some point so yeah. <laughs> it happens like and I, I think I personally have seen a big change I think in the legal industry well it, it's not a wholesale change but it's starting to happen where I think people are more honest about the fact that it's an amazing career, but there are there are also moments of um, self doubt. There's, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's a pressured industry, and you know when something goes wrong, it, it can weigh on you really heavily. And I think there's yeah. kind of a, a little bit of a you, everybody wants to be better than and there's nothing wrong with trying to perfect what you have and what you are. Yeah. But I yeah. think also we should be uh, we should be honest about the fact that when we're, we're not you know we're not perfect and exactly like that's such a huge thing as well just like this obsession with perfectionism it's just it's a lot of the time it's unattainable you're never going to be perfect and so you kind of have to accept that and work with what you have and be the best version of you that you can be and stop striving for protection perfection and I guess the other thing is comparing yourself to other people that's also quite a dangerous path to go along um because like you said, you never really know what that person's experiencing. You're just seeing them from the outside. And so you're comparing yourself against an image or a snapshot, but that's not accurate and it's just not productive. Yeah. Uh, th- this um, Another guest on the podcast there, Akshi Kakamo, she's a, uh, she's a therapist and I follow her on, uh, her on Instagram and she talks a lot about um, how we compare the worst version of, of ourselves to the best version of what we see because what we, people yeah. portray of themselves is like them smashing it um, yeah and you can you know all of your faults because of course you know yourself and most of us you know, yeah know ourselves. and that's just a recipe for you know it's a recipe for making yourself unhappy uh, i think it's definitely something that lawyers and i think particularly people who are in a, in a tough stage of their career you know who are either applying for training contracts or trying to qualify or you know trying to you know uh, get promoted for partnership or whatever it is that their you know their current struggle point is, is yeah the, the comparison stuff is just is wasted energy wasted mental space yeah. and just take it away like if i mean with instagram with social media with anything like that you can just unfollow if someone's if you're constantly if you're finding yourself constantly comparing against yourself against someone be that a friend or be that somebody who's like um you know, a role model, just unsubscribe from them. If, if it's really going, if it's negative and if you find yourself going down a path that's not particularly, yeah, it's not helping you, then definitely just unsubscribe or delete Instagram, delete social media. I find that that really, really helps. Yeah, I, 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 get, I get offline as much as I can. I delete Instagram every day and I download it for an hour in the evening. And that's yeah. my fix because otherwise you can just get stuck in that. You can get stuck in that little uh, that that rabbit hole. But for sure, unf- unfollow, unsubscribe, 
focus on the task at hand. Um, I think I think I need to let you go because we've uh, we've almost uh, been an hour. Um, well, I think we've been over an hour now actually. Um, but I did want to say thank you so much for you know for sharing your experiences um, and for for giving certainly giving me a few ideas about uh, some some new things I want to try in terms of uh, managing uh, managing work and uh, and managing life. Um, so yeah, thank you, thank you so much. No, thanks so much, Chris. That was really interesting.